guest this week is Ultimate Donnie, a.k.a. Richard Elmsworth of Gilman Terrace Party Dream, one of my favorite bands of all time, and now playing in Sam Goodwill's excellent band. A few announcements before we begin. If it sounds like I'm about to die in this interview, I certainly felt like I was. I just got real sick twice on this tour, but it's all good. A few announcements to make about shows. April 8th, I'm playing in Newark, New Jersey at the Seed Gallery for the Illuminated Paths Records Showcase, the label that put out my 10,000 Devastating Watts EP. April 20th, I'm playing at the Metro Gallery in Baltimore with B. Dolan, Steadfast, and Mental Static. Really looking forward to that one. And tomorrow, as in Tuesday the 5th, I'm going to be announcing the roster and dates for the first leg of the Wraparound Robin Tour. So look out for that. The artwork this week, as always, is by Mike Riley. Check him out at MikeRileyComics.com. And as always, we're being hosted by Splice Today. Check them out at SpliceToday.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. in. Born in Youngstown. Grew up suburbs of Youngstown. Yeah. Boardman, to be exact. Boardman, and then halfway through middle school, moved to Canfield. Because you, you and Glenn are half-brothers, right? Step. Stepbrother. It's uh, my father, his mother. And did you guys like grow up in the same house? We did. I started hanging out with him since before he turned one year old. Fire. It's crazy. I was at his first birthday party. <laughs> I remember it vividly, like where the table was, where he was sitting, the cake, that that straw that he has for hair, that nice blonde straw. Yeah. Just straight down, bowl cut. He's shoveling cake into his face. Having a good old time. Oh, man. And I was, you know, somewhere around seven or eight at the time. Like, were you guys these music guys from an early age? Uh, as far as listening to music, definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the things growing up, it seems like I always had a stereo in my room. Always had a record player, something, and a decent stereo with decent speakers. So I was just always cranking those records. I remember we used to be able to get this station could have been from the Cleveland area I think it's W could have been WDMT they just played a lot of soul and early rap and I remember hearing Egypt Egypt mm. and really really loving that sound that was a big one and then my dad uh, used to listen to Computer World a lot the Kraftwerk album yeah and that that was great um I think in 86 I picked up the the I think would you call it the 12 inch yeah. well it's that size but it's kind of like an extended single thing Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh had a bunch of versions of the show 
and the original version of Lottie Dottie, uh, which um, had some Beatles stuff in it that they took out oh, wow. in later recordings, like the, the Michelle thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, no. Or Slick Rick is like, Michelle, Mama. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, if you listen to it um, in, in later versions, some compilations, it's just taken out. That uh, Twisted Sister was big. Those are some of my first records. Under the Blade, those good ones. Madonna, her first two records still have those. Uh, Purple Rain, Prince 1999. Uh, I have my dad's Prince uh, Controversy right over in that thing. Fat Boys. Yes. Bunch of stuff. Some Metallica. I remember I really liked Ride the Lightning and the Metallica a lot too. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Cinderella night songs. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And, like, when did you get the idea of playing music? I didn't get that idea until, I don't know, I was around 20, probably. Really? Yeah. Right you weren't age. playing guitar or anything before? No. You? No, 19 or 20, um, my friend, you know Gage. Yeah. He's out, out in L.A. now. He picked up a guitar this beautiful SG with gold furnishings and everything. Um, he started learning lots of ACDC songs. I ended up getting this Telecaster my dad bought for me, American. It's really nice. And I was learning different things. I'd listen to New Order and play some of their slightly dissonant chords yeah. and everything and some Super Chunk. But, yeah, I didn't really have the idea yet being any kind to play out until my friend... Matt, I didn't know him well at the time. He was in this band called Over Your Head, and they were having problems with their singer. Didn't really, they just weren't jiving. It's being a real pain in the ass. That's what I think it was. So Matt asked me if I'd meet him, and I don't know, just get together. I was supposed to be the pyrotechnics man for whatever <laughs> band he was doing. Like, I would just have, I would set candles up and light them, yeah. or maybe I would like, I don't know, firecrackers, who knows. But I just showed up with this acoustic guitar and we started writing some goofy, almost country numbers. Mm. And and then we ended up forming a band where I was playing really horrible lead guitar, but singing okay. The band was called Pickle. And it was kind of just chicken-picking country and... Without the technical chicken picking, because neither of us could do that. Yeah. But it went into some, like, classic metal riffs. Huh. Yeah, it actually was received well and got people out, which surprises me. And what other, like, music stuff was in the atmosphere at that time, like, around here? That was a long time ago. Yeah. There's Chicken Dog. Do you know the Shimborskis? Oh, man. Really great family from Warren, Ohio. They uh, ended up moving out to Toledo. Ed started a magazine there called The Glass Eye. He was all into the music. Around that time, I'd really have to think. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember who we'd play with. I have no idea. Yeah. Was there like a kind of like a scene the way there is now? In Youngstown? It's like there always is. Sometimes it's really easy to see and perceive the scene as such because there are enough bands that are making a small amount of noise that we can make here. 
and other times it's you don't even it doesn't feel like there is like yeah. right now doesn't re- I can't feel a scene like a music scene but I'm also old now right right and there are some younger things happening but yeah it's been it's definitely I've seen it go through a lot of cycles where you're going out and there used to be two main places there was Cedars in the old location uh, more than two there were more than two I'm talking like an idiot right now. But ones you main ones you remember. (laughs) There was the Penguin Pub, which was a legendary place for just being dirty, raw, fun, anything goes. Did a lot of like heavy shows. I mean like some dirty punk. And just a it was a wild place. And I used to go there when I was maybe eighteen, nineteen. Didn't drink was pretty scared half the time I was there. Yeah. So I was just didn't, it was in Youngstown and everything was scary to me. I didn't realize that it really, or maybe it was scary. Um, there's that place and then it kind of moved to a different spot in Youngstown. It was called the Pyatt Down Under. So there was that spot. Cedars was there the whole time. Um, but I remember when I was going, the time when I was going to the most shows, I was, I'd be 21 to 26-ish. Somewhere in there, there were Cedars and the Pyatt Street. And any given weekend, just go back and forth to both. Mm. And there was always something going on. And they weren't that far apart, so it was nothing just to go back and forth. Yeah. What what happened with Pickle? Um, it was just time. We, we yeah. did everything we wanted to do, really. We, right, right. We didn't really want to do much. Right. So we even did more than we wanted to do. <laughs> Matt was busy with work and, you know, and I think he just had a kid and was married and everything. Yeah. And did, what was the next project from there? From there, I just started my own thing. It was called Favorite Action Hero. Um, and then I invited a couple of guys to play with me. My friend Steve... Gardner played drums, who later went on to play with some other friends of mine called Rebreather. Really good, heavy band around town. Um, playing bass, had Dom, who was in Pickle. And later on, we added a second guitarist, uh, Jeremy Kerber. Just like, that was like in the, the later stages. And what was like the idea of that band? That was I. I guess it was just a, I just wanted to continue playing music. Yeah. Because I got comfortable being on stage and, and singing, and I felt like I learned enough to continue doing it. And I just I don't know. I just wanted to write some songs, play them. Yeah. And I guess I mean that. I guess you could put that into some kind of indie, whatever. Right. Right. Blanket. You know, that's a giant blanket, but. But it's in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like. Uh, it switched up a little bit, but it's some kind of indie, but definitely took some good time for instrumental breaks. Yeah. Got a little better at playing guitar in that band. Um, It was received well in Youngstown, too. It's funny. Somebody just brought that up a couple days ago. Like, man, you should do a reunion, which I, when I've had a couple drinks in me, and if I run into Steve, who lives in Pittsburgh now, then it sounds like a really good idea. I'm like, <laughs> all right, let's do it. Yeah. But the stipulation is always got to have at least 
two new songs because there are probably at least four or five out of the 10 or 11 that I really don't like. Did you guys put an album out? We recorded an album and had artwork for it and everything. Just never put it out. Why not? Um, the uh, Gilman Tart's Party Dream, the beginning of that and the the end of Favorite Action Hero were intersecting. Oh, okay. And Party Dream was just picking up steam. I feel like I just didn't have the time or energy to put into Favorite Action Hero. Mm. I didn't really put that much time and energy into it anyway. I very sloppily wrote songs. I'd be mm. like, this is good enough. <laughs> just, and there were parts, I remember I'd play parts, and I didn't, I didn't even like it. I could have fixed it, and I didn't. Mm. But, yeah, so Party Dream, I just felt like a natural thing. Like, this we're, this is starting to take off a little bit. I just kind of want to... Well, how did, how did it start? Oh, man. <clears throat> Party Dream is weird. That started, it was just a, it was a fluke that the band even happened. It started as a thing called Party Talk. Right, right. And my man, Gage, he was, he was the other singer in Party Talk. Me, Gage, and my brother were, we were in Columbus, just chilling, hanging, having a good, good old time. And uh, we were talking about my brother's keyboard it was this silly Yamaha that he had that I think we bought for 200 bucks. Had a bunch of presets. We just talked about that and um, had some song ideas. Just really, really bad song ideas. Like, <laughs> song, one of the songs we did was called uh, Vietnam 2. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about those days. Man. <clears throat> so I think we were talking about that in 1998. Mm. And so we, we ended up getting back in Youngstown <clears throat> at my parents' house in Canfield. And we were, we were putting these songs together. And they were horrible. They were like... They were almost all just the actual presets of the keyboard. Yeah. No, nothing. But we were making up some some lyrics yeah so July 1998 we were ready to do the show we did it at the original Cedars location we had some magic tricks involved in the show which were really good I mean I don't even want to take the time to explain it just won't do any justice fire magic tricks but like fish tank with water blankets handcuffs just like buffoonery like magic <laughs> tricks that aren't magic tricks yeah and songs <clears throat> and that was oh man that was my brother's first like public stage performance right right there. right he was nervous as hell he had this weird helmet on he's back on this he had that keyboard on a card table just nervously playing back there yeah while me and Gage were just up there in our skimpy outfits do you think he uh, had always <clears throat> wanted to perform as well or who knows I don't know but it seemed like after that yeah well that was a one that was a planned one time event yeah uh, Gage was moving out moving off to California where he knew that was gonna be done we didn't plan to do it again but it did happen again with just me and Gil <laughs> 
Mm. And if you if you want to know, I'll tell you how that happened. Please. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> so there's this place called Nyabingi. You gotta. You played Nyabingi. I've you seen you there, but I haven't. Played. Okay. So it was what? It, oh yeah, it had to be. It was the blizzard of '99. It was um must have been Christmas Eve of '99. My friend who was in some punk band, I cannot remember which one. It may have been. It was something bizarre. Looney, like the unflushables or something like that. Yeah. Playing some silly punk songs. He called me up that night. He had, I don't know, two or three other bands coming in from out of town to play. And there's just no way in hell they're going to make it. So he asked me to do something. He's like, just do anything. I don't care. You know, like half hour. If you just stand up there and talk, do something (laughs) like Tom. I'm in. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll I'll be there. And my brother happened to be home because it was Christmas break. He was going to Ohio State University at the time. So he came back and he he was down. Like, all right, we, we'll just use some of these old party talk songs. We've got these wild, horrible outfits. Let's just do it. We did it. It was weird. Weren't that many people. But I felt, I don't know, it was received well enough. And we really liked looking horrible. That was the thing. It was just looking as bad as you could possibly look. (laughs) The early outfits were just, it was that. We raided our parents' closets for anything 80s we could find, um, beach cover-ups, all that good stuff. Moon boots. (laughs) It was bad. And did you feel after that, like, okay, this is something we can do more? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely felt like, well, let's just do it again. Just locally. You know, totally. Just, like, that's a, just as, as fun. Just for a fun time. Yeah. Like filler. We'll be a filler band. <laughs> like complete assholes, we decided to build a second show as a CD release show. Mm. And we didn't really have songs and we definitely didn't have CDs so it must have been the weekend before I spent it in Columbus where in oh man yeah we just we laid down some stuff on this this four track this uh mini disc four track I had didn't know what we were doing that that CD is it's weird Mm. it's called best friends it's really weird made 10 copies that was it Wow. We sold them all. Maybe is that the one... Ryan Burke was telling me there's an early record that he was trying to get his hands on for a long time. <laughs> that might be it. It came out in like 2000? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it would have been 2000. Like probably, I don't know, February or March. Something, sometime around then. He said it was mentioned... <clears throat> a copy was revealed... In like a like Suicide Girls thing, like there was like a Suicide Girls documentary, oh, man. and a girl was like, "Of course, I got the first party dream on deck." I think I have a copy of that. So I think I have that one. <laughs> great. It seems like I remember. I do remember seeing that something like that. Yeah. Which so, that's rare. That's a rare <laughs> album to have, especially if you have. I mean, that's crazy. 
And like, when did you guys start playing outside against? I think it must have been that year where yeah. uh, we got hooked up with some shows in Columbus and some relatively big shows, if I recall. And I don't know, we just kept doing our thing, and, and little by little, we get slightly more musical. Yeah. Um, the antics back then were crazy. So, yeah, that year, we started picking up some steam in Columbus, and uh, we, we didn't do that many shows. So we had this thing where we had to outdo ourselves each show. Yeah. And that... That kind of trajectory, we would have been like dead by 2001 or 2002. But yeah, that, yeah, we started doing some shows in, in Columbus. We'd, we'd have beds, microwaves, <laughs> recliners, trampolines. Yeah. We used to carry two uh, exercise trampolines to every show. I remember seeing a trampoline. Yeah, that was good. The one show I remember I cooked, I cooked some kind of rice dinner in the microwave. Mm. I can't believe it didn't like short out the the whole system, but cooked that, took a little break during the set, Um, didn't get off the stage or anything, but just took a little break, sat down, ate some rice, burned my (laughs) mouth, well, let Gil do his thing. I remember the first time I saw you guys, you were like... Matrix and you like pulled out a dot matrix <laughs> printer and then smashed it. <laughs> oh man, where do you remember where that one was? In Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. wow. I think, uh, I wonder if that was with uh, my brother's girlfriend at the time. Yeah, party ho. Yeah, that was a wild show. It I think was I remember fire. rapping the power cord around my neck <laughs> like really a lot of times it wasn't really choking me yeah. when it's dangling but it definitely like I felt my, my whole head just it felt like I was going to explode <laughs> I could still breathe a little bit so it was a little bit of an act just yeah. just to give the crowd what they wanted <laughs> I have this memory of um, in 2002 talking to Jackson from Grand Buffet He's like, I think we met our sister band. And he, he had like the one of those like instant one time cameras that he just got developed and he had like the pics oh. of you guys. Oh man. In these like thongs. <laughs> <laughs> but like what well how did you meet those two? Greg who owned the Naya Bingy, um, who was just at the time just way big into music and getting different bands in. He caught, uh, well, he had, Grand Buffet was on tour with Wesley Willis. Yeah. And so he had them. He didn't know Grand Buffet. He knew Wesley Willis. Saw Grand Buffet, was familiar with us. Next time we ran into Greg, he was telling us about him. It's like, next time you guys play, you know, we got to have this band, Grand Buffet. I'm like, okay. We were, we pretty much dismissed it. We're like, yeah, whatever. You know, you hear yeah. about bands, you're like, yeah, whatever. So, uh, it happened like is either the next time or the time after that we had Grand Buffet with us and the place was packed it was a big show we were starting to get good crowds in Youngstown and I don't you know I, I didn't even pay attention to Grand Buffet mm. just barely said hello to him I don't know I was kind of in 
some kind of weird asshole mode. Mm. Um, but <laughs> I saw them again. I think we did another show together. I mean, my memory of these things is bizarre. Yeah. But I do remember not really paying attention the first time. Second time, I paid close attention to the show and just like I fell in love. Yeah. It's like, man, this is a, this is incredible. Like I was just, I was just, that was it. And then I just got pretty tight with Jared. Seemed to be kindred spirits. Actually, the very first Grand Buffet took us on our very first tour. You know, yeah. it wasn't the first time out of town, but the first time that there were a string of shows. So it, yeah, that was Grand Buffet that hooked us up with that. I was really nervous too because I used to, you know, I'd sing like a maniac a lot, and I know if I did two shows, my voice would be pretty wild and raw after that. Oh yeah. So I was really worried about being able to sing doing six or seven days straight. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, it was Grandma Faye took us out, showed us some ropes. And what did you make of it, like being like touring like that? I thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Once I realized that Grand Buffet on their scale didn't have jobs besides that, I was like, oh, we can do this. This can actually happen. Right, right. Um, growing up where it's always like college is pushed, you know, like you, this is what you do. Go to college, get a job and all that stuff. You, you, that, that kind of fantasy just doesn't even... It just stays there, like as a fantasy. You don't even think that you could have this band that's gonna make it. Yeah. So did that lead to like more aggressively like pushing it yourselves? It did. I, you know, we didn't really. A lot of things fell into place. I, I feel like we didn't push too hard. Mm-hmm. Came weekend warriors for a few years. Yeah. Started building up audiences. Um, Columbus was starting to get crazy. Um, we started doing New York City and Chicago, and we started building some nice, nice crowds in those yeah. places. And Cleveland, well, I feel like once we broke Cleveland, Cleveland took a while to crack, but once we got people, they just kept coming. Oh wow! So yeah, we did the weekend warrior thing for a while. Like, how did you take the leap to like pass the weekend warrior status? Well, we got some good shows. The Rapture invited us to do a bunch of shows on their tour. I think we only ended up doing two or three, but they were they were super hot at the time. Right. That one album. Um, so playing those shows, it's like, man, we should really do it. And shortly after that, I think it was the very beginning of 2006 is when we had our first booking agent, and we knew him from this... A festival called uh, Emissions from the Monolith that happened at the night being a yearly. It was crazy, like doom, sludge. Uh, oh man, it was good. Just like a crazy oh, yeah. four day event. That's when I saw you guys. Was that one of those? Oh, okay. Yeah, we didn't fit so well, but it seemed to work. Yeah. So we met this guy. Um, yeah, he ended up taking us on, um, booking. He booked our very first tour. Mm. That was a little rough. I mean, there's some good spots, but it was a little rough. Like, the first couple records, like, Once Triangular and Blood Songs, like, like are those being put out on labels, or are those independent? 
once triangular, we just did we did everything on that ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we had help with recording the vocals, half of them from my friend Sean O'Malley. Who uh, he lives in LA now too, but yeah, he helped me record some stuff while Gil was in Columbus. So it was kind of a, and I. I assembled that whole album. It's got a bunch of live stuff in between. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was all us. And though that's the first one we actually got professionally printed and everything, you know. Did that. But when we but when we made the leap, it, all it was was had the booking agent and we had our first tour. I quit my job, which was a decent job. Um Glenn was done with college and then so we just did it did it for a while Blood Songs yeah. was later a little later yeah after we've been doing stuff for a while but did that did that come out on a label that did that was um Patrick Carney uh, of the Black Keys started a label oh that's right that's right yeah he we, we were playing a place called Lime Spider in Akron Ohio and he uh, he used to come out and he really liked it yeah. So he started a record label called American Audio No Audio Eagle. Yeah, yeah. Audio Eagle. And um we were the very first band that he, he put out. We even recorded a demo version of Alligator Missions in his apartment or one of his friends' apartment at the time in Akron. So we did that demo and then we ended up getting ended up recording with this guy Shane Connery in New York City in his personal studio okay I'll tell you how that happened we knew these guys in New York City that we just met through playing um, and through Youngstown the Emissions Fest we'd just hang out in, in their place in the uh, whatever it's called East Village Alphabet City area they gave us keys so we could just crash whenever we wanted but one night Shane one of the roommates we didn't know him he came it was like we played a show it was late night and, and Dave Monaghan he was putting on the CD he wasn't done with Party Dream that night he wanted more Party Dream so he put on the CD it was once triangular Shane came in really liked it but just wasn't happy with the sound of it mm. and so we talked to him and he wanted to put out or he wanted to record us yeah um so yeah, going back to Patrick Carney, he he did that. We're like, and we ended up talking to Shane Connery, and uh, Patrick threw in some money so he could pay Shane. Shane sold his equipment, his personal studio, and started working at Broadway, uh, Broadway Video, Broadway Sound, which is fourth floor um, Times Square. Oh yeah. So we ended up doing really, really late nights there to finish Blood Songs. We did half of Blood Songs in, uh, yeah, in Times Square, basically. Late night, getting fights, all kinds of stuff. What kind of, for you, like, what kind of writing process is going down? Gil was just coming up with some tunes. Yeah. And, like, once in a while he'd have a melody for a chorus, um... Yeah, the writing process, it he, he, he was interesting. I didn't do a lot of writing, calculated writing. Right. We would go into the studio. It's just such a stupid idea. You go into the studio, you don't even have a melody written. 
but there were things like some of our, our songs that people went wild for was like all right i'm not I, I, I might be able to do this i go into the vocal booth play the stuff and just one take and like get stuck it like had, yeah. it had something to it so that happened a lot um there were definitely a few st- songs in um in the studio where like Gil had he had he was calculated yeah he had his shit together he had it all worked out right um but he knew I was a, a wild asshole so it's kind of like we needed that but yeah so some songs we would take for blood songs we would write we wrote some in the studio figured out some yeah and then just you know two minutes later put them down on wax was the, was that like the plan from the beginning to be like I'm gonna freestyle some of these songs not really yeah I don't like writing lyrics I just don't yeah I really don't like it I don't feel like I have a I feel like a, I don't know I just don't like it I think you come with great lyrics it, it's depend if I'm oh thank you if I'm inspired and it just like comes in you know what I mean yeah. and I explode then it could be okay when I if I try to sit down and just write something that actually means something it's kind of it just doesn't work for me right right and would you like stick to the stuff you would like freestyle like every night on tour oh man that that seemed to only happen after it was cemented on a recording yeah cause we'd have I mean half of our set we never had we didn't have set lyrics yeah I'd just make them up and like i watch some old videos just giggle at some of the lyrics um yeah I mean Gil would have songs that I'd never even heard before and I'm hearing them on stage and singing or like maybe we played it in the car you know right right even big shows I remember oh man yeah like the it's like alright you guys are opening for the rapture it's gonna be 1300 people there no one's gonna know you hope you do a good job you know we're playing songs that didn't have any words whatsoever yeah yeah, I, yeah, it was that was never a plan. But like, how did you feel like the confidence to do that? I don't know. I, I mean, I would, I was definitely pounding those PBRs back then. Right, right. But just, I don't know. I just kind of, I think I had enough stage experience and just been a, off of a goofball at various stages in my life that I was fine. Like, <laughs> right. this is what I do you know yeah. I think it came off like that too it's like these guys are they're fucking insane right right and I, to an extent we were you know it's just that I think one of the things that made it okay is it was just an extension of who we really were I wasn't trying to be something just being an idiot no, no, I, I feel like <laughs> And I have that in me. <laughs> and, like, Blood Songs, like, did, how was that record received? It was received well. I mean, yeah. there were a couple reviews that just trashed it, like, mm. hated it. I mean, I can, it's a weird album. I mean, it's not... That one's hard to understand for people who just can't understand. yeah. Like, maybe they understand Americana, or this is indie folk, or this is backpack rap, or this is soul music, or I don't know, or this is this is that. Um, it's kind of hard to put anywhere. 
Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of people weren't doing that, that style of electronic music and then singing wild soul style. Right. Over right. And wearing bizarre outfits and taking clothes off, you know? Yeah. So there, there are definitely some outlets that just didn't, they didn't get it, trashed it. But we had a lot of really positive reviews too. Pitchfork wouldn't review it. No. I, I know. I never found out what happened, but we had this uh, our PR dude. Remember, we were in LA so at Gage's place, just chilling out. I remember we read this email. He's like, "Yay, Pitchfork's gonna review your album," and it just never happened. Mm. Yeah, we think they just hated us. They hated us enough to not even like mention us right and, and like give us a terrible review they just like <laughs> right, right. really didn't like us so so I guess at this point you are this guy without a day job like like you were saying mm-hmm. like like what did you make of it like okay like you know we're doing this I felt I was I felt really satisfied yeah I couldn't, I mean, I could, there were times I'd sit, I couldn't believe it. And it wasn't like we had to constantly tour either. I mean, it was, you know, when you hear about bands that just tour so much, like Jesus Lizard, they were just like years straight right, on the road. Right. Grand Buffet, I mean, those guys were crazy. Yeah. Um, and we got to take good breaks, you know, maybe like be on for five weeks and off for, I don't know, like, eight weeks yeah so I thought it was I don't know I was was really proud of that position we were in that we were these idiots from Youngstown you know I don't think we're idiots but you know just like the small town right nobody makes it out of Youngstown we just do this thing and somehow we're making a living doing it yeah um and I I still I mean it was rough it was rough just trying, like, the money wasn't amazing, but I still have my house, the one right. we're sitting in right now. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, so, I mean, we were making enough money to to do that, and for me to just, like, if I had a couple days where I had no responsibility, pick up a 30-pack a of something good, like Keystone Light, and just sit around and drink it and watch movies all day. Love it. What happened with the um, the Black Keys guys label? Did, is, does that label still exist? It does, and I was curious because yeah. I, I started selling my stuff again online, and um, I was just thinking, like, well, because Fat um, Blood Songs was distributed by Fat Possum. Um, Black oh, Keys had a relationship with Fat Possum, yeah. So Patrick hooked that up. So I was like, man, and I only have, I don't know. Are two copies left of right. Blood Songs and I was wondering if they're actually available um, and so I started looking around and I looked at to see if Audio Eagle was still doing stuff and Audio Eagle is not a label anymore yeah too bad I feel like it could just happen again now that they're this huge band it could happen again and I remember he threw a uh, he put on an Audio Eagle showcase in Chicago where we headlined it, and there were two other Akron bands on his label. That was a good, good old time. Oh, that's right. 
And well, like, where label wise, where did you guys go from there? Nowhere. We like, went just back to back to self. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We were me and Gail were back and forth on this idea, label or no label. You know, yeah. got this huge fight about it. It's like, I don't know. It was stupid. Eventually, we agreed that we wanted to put something out on a label. That was a really, really weird time, too. Um, transition between physical copies of things selling and, and online stuff. Yeah. You know, the digital sales. So it was, it was really bizarre. But we ultimately decided we wanted a label that could just represent us well and put us out more. You know, try to just get to the next tier. Yeah. Where things are just like a little much you know maybe much bigger yeah i think the next tier from where we were is a lot bigger right right you just couldn't do it couldn't do it man you started to feel that like we can't get to like the next place we want to go i don't think i felt that i think it was taken you know we had some opportunities that feel like it's you're right there and it just it fades right i didn't feel like we couldn't get there it took its toll on Gil, though, I, I think. I don't think he felt like we could get there. And I don't know if he even thought that it was worth it anymore. Like, what's an example of something like that? Where it's like, we're almost... It seems like it's right at our feet or something. Yeah, well, I guess when... When Patrick Carney, you know, is like, Hey, I want to put your yeah. album out and, and, and support you and everything like that. We're like, all right, this is this is a step in the right direction, right? Um, and then, you know, we're talking to some labels. Um, one label is a subsidiary of uh, Jag Jaguar, I believe. That didn't happen, but we were probably asking for too much money, and I don't know if that label could have done too much for us anyway. Yeah, but yeah, we were asking for too much money. <laughs> in, in in retrospect. Mm. It, it, it was stupid of us. And then, I don't know, we were talking with somebody who was um, working with Steve Aoki. That never happened. Yeah, I just think there just a lot, a lot of things. Yeah. And it was, we, I don't know, we'd see other, other bands and people just kind of like blow up. Damn it. Yeah. Waiting for this, you know? Because we did so much on our own. We're selling out the prime spots in these, these big cities. We're like, this is great. Yeah. There's these, all these people who get... They're in every fucking magazine right. that we read. And they're not selling out these same clubs. Right, right. It seems like that should like be like news in itself right. or something. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, did all those South by Southwest shows. And they're always just banging. Fire! Very first South by Southwest. Um, it's the first year we did that. You know, a Village Voice blog. Somebody, somebody from Village Voice, like Gilman Terrace Parking, the best show of all of South by Southwest. You know, two thousand whatever it was. Yeah, seven or I can't. I can't remember. Another thing that we did was, which was pretty wild. We did Warp Tour in two thousand eight. That's right. That's right. And we were. We didn't try to get on that. Mr. Warp Tour himself, Kevin Lyman, asked us to do it and put us on a bus with 14 other people on the bus. Yeah. But 
it was still a bus. Yeah. And we didn't have to risk our lives driving at night, stuff like that. What was that tour like? Oh my God. That's probably the, I mean, no, I, I don't know. All the tours are weird. I mean, yeah. it's so much, especially when you're us, like just people want to party with you afterwards and everything. And a lot of, I don't know, man, a lot of, I don't even know. Warp Tour was insane. Yeah. You didn't know. I think Warp Tour is great if you're a name on there and you have people working for you. Like you have your roadies, you have someone to wake you up, like, okay, get to stage and you don't have to like drag your hungover ass out of the tiny bunk pile stuff on this on these carts oh man yeah isn't there a rule like you don't know when you're gonna play that's the rule you you get the sheet in the morning yeah and so that sucked that part sucked um i mean a couple times i would see somewhere in canada i think quebec we got rocks thrown at us it was such a weird thing I don't know, man. There, that, there's so much coming in when I think about that warp tour. Yeah. Like it, what? It was wild. One good thing, there were a lot of great people um, on our on our bus. There was a revolving door of international rappers, and also a revolving door of uh, some b boys, and most of those are from Baltimore. Really? Yeah. Is those dudes like? Venoms or no, I can't remember. I can't even remember some of the names. Oh, wow. actually, I have a DVD. Oh yeah, I'll show you that later. That's crazy. So that was cool. There's some Dante, you know Dante LaSalle. Yeah, in yeah. Detroit, I became good friends with him. He was on the yeah. bus. He's super solid. I still, we still send each other text messages once in a while, you know, to say what's up. So that was good. Was it a fun tour, despite the like oh, headaches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know which one. I'd say they they might cancel each other out. <laughs> right. Or at least like the battle was even. Yeah. The good versus bad, but there was there's definitely a lot of fun to be had. I mean, it was just I don't know. We were so used to having to drive ourselves yeah. after shows and I was like, god, such a pain in the ass. This we had a like bus driver. We just had to be on the bus and then Charlie took care of it. And did that feel like you were also gaining new fans? Or... No. Yeah. That kind of felt like we were doing nothing. <laughs> right, right, right. Didn't it? Yeah. We did have some opportunities out of that. We could have taken it, and I think we could have taken a lot of fans in and kept them from specific opportunities we had within that warp tour. Yeah. Gil and I, I don't know, it was hard. We didn't see eye to eye on certain tours that we would or or wouldn't take. And also, we didn't, if we had a little more money, we probably may, you know, maybe we would have taken a tour. Because support, direct support, you might be only getting 150, 200 bucks right. a night, even if someone's taking, you know, many thousands of dollars in. Right, right, right. So we couldn't really afford it. And I don't know. And I just was I just spent two months away from my daughter who was really young at the time. Yeah. And that that killed me. So yeah, it was a rough spot. There there are a lot of factors why we didn't do anything with that. And like as Hollis was born and everything, like did did 
you did want to continue as a, a touring guy, right? Definitely. Yeah. Because when I was home, I mean, I could be home for months, and it's just like, yeah, dad doesn't even have to go to work, you know? Right, like, right, right. You know, I, which was great. I spent got to spend so much time with her when she was just a baby. Yeah. Like just all day, every day for an extended period of time. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely I hated leaving her, but I I definitely wanted to continue touring. Totally. Well, like what caused like you guys to stop playing? I know it's probably like complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. I'll I'll give you a short version. Yeah. I mean, I, me and Gil, I think we just spent I don't know too much time, not like too much time together, but just too much time putting a lot of uh, I don't know, so much of us was in this yeah. thing and we weren't there yet and so there was a lot of, just a lot of tension yeah and like even just driving in the van you know, you just, it's in the air I think after a while it just wasn't worth it for him it, it just, he just couldn't do it he didn't mm. have it anymore yeah. so, that, so that's the short, that's the short of it right there and did you, like, I guess did you feel like Despite the tension, you you could have just kept going. I thought so. I mean, I still think we could have taken a break. And yeah. We were working on new songs that were pretty good that we both liked. Yeah, I feel like if we could have had some kind of... If we had some rich person, you know, just say, Hey, I'm going to loan you guys, like, ten grand each. Take Take six... I don't know, six months and just get this album done. Yeah. I think that would have worked. We could have done it. We just need to take a break. Yeah. We'd probably, like, I think Glenn and I probably would have had to have uh, gone on a vacation together <laughs> where we didn't have any business, like, no business. The business end changed everything. I think too much of it. There's just too much stressing over money and like making those decisions and it got to us Mm. because in the early days oh my god we were just like just having a blast like thick as thieves you know right right yeah and like you ever hear you ever hear my girl uh, Cindy Lauper money changes everything Mm. except money you know good amount of money would have Kept everything good. Changed everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like, like, how did you plan on like playing it as the band stopped? Uh, I freaked out. I was depressed as hell. Lost a lot. Um, and we didn't have any money. It's not. We didn't really have money saved up. We were living tour to tour, basically. Right. I don't know what the hell I was gonna do. Yeah. Really, man. Yes, the way I played it is that I got I was just doing odd jobs for a little while, getting depressed, getting kind of mean just because I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. Didn't really want to lose my house and all that stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I just played it. Opportunity came up to start like, helping this guy out, doing web stuff. At the Golden Stream? Um, actually, this guy, Tyler Clark, had his own company and... Mm. I just read a little thing in the paper. Went to his house that day and gave me the job. Yeah. 
did you feel like it wasn't so terrible once it's like, oh, okay, I can do this job? No, I didn't feel like that at all. I felt like, well, this is all right, but it sucks because I was making more money doing something that came so naturally to me that I really, really enjoyed doing. Right, right. So, like, what led to starting to play with Sam? Oh, while I was still in, while Partridge was still going, he would ask me, you know, if I thought I had a, I could play any part in that band. And first of all, I was too busy. There's no way I could do it. I'm like, you're going to have shows and I'm going to be on tour. It's not going to yeah. work. And then secondly, I didn't think I was technically capable of playing in that band. Really? Yeah. Not so much the singing. I knew I could do the singing, but guitar parts or, I don't know, it was weird timing and everything. So he asked me a few times. Yeah, I think he asked me twice and I said no. Third time, I had, I had no band anymore. Yeah. Um, and there, he had his first tour set up. It was in two months. I think it's like a week and a half to two weeks solid every day and their guitarist hurt his finger couldn't play oh, so yeah. when he put it to me like that I'm like alright I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it but I will try I'm, I'll be in the band and, I'll, yeah. um, and it turned out to be alright yeah yeah how, like how did that tour go uh, I, it was fun because I liked the people in the band but yeah I mean, the shows were so small. Coming from doing party dream tours to playing these tiny places and right. not even filling them, right? You know, I'm like, ah, let's let's hope, let's hope we get twenty people in here, yeah. And like, let's say half the shows didn't really reach that point either, right? So it's kind of, you know, in that sense, it was like, ah, I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. I mean, you, you do it because you like it, but then you also want, if you're playing music that you like, you also want as many people as possible to experience it. Right, And right. you want them to love it, too. Yeah. So when you're doing stuff and you're not actually reaching anybody and you're just spending time away and, and driving and doing things you don't really want to do, then you have to question, you, you know, question, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. As excited as you might be it's almost like you can't help but do that with, with these small shows yeah you know I think maybe when you're really young it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. it's or, like I'm out I'm, yeah. I'm doing these tours this is amazing I don't really give a shit I'm gonna drink and be wild and yeah. whatever yeah and I think that's another I think really young or just really like high and drunk mm-hmm. like like there's so many people that it's just like the lifestyle of like rock shows and stuff yeah. is their thing and then it's like even if the tour is a disaster it like doesn't matter because they like partied every night well at that point you have an excuse you know it's like right in this life if I you know right now if I'm seen out every night just like wasted around town people are like man what the hell's wrong with that guy yeah but if I'm on tour I'm gone I could be drunk that's an excuse right 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 so yeah, that's it's not that's not for me. Are you guys gonna like keep it rolling as a 
touring band, do you think? I think so. I mean, we we did a few other little things after that. And yeah. Just decided to try to do, to make the most of where we are uh, geographically and just hit up, like, just do three-day weekend kind of things. Yeah. Make the most of that until or if there's some traction going on. Right, there. right, right. Um, Sam and Bob are heading to Europe at the end of April. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, it, they've already got like a couple weeks booked. Mm. I, I didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. Like initially, Sam, you know, just thought it'd be easier for him to go by himself. Um, one, the cost of one plane ticket yeah. to recoup. And he could just kind of like test the waters and right. try to build the name. It kind of sounds like you're like ready to tour at some point. It's like the hired gun or something, but not. Yeah. Like, if All right. Money's coming in. Yeah. These shows are going to be like actually uplifting to play. Right, right, right. Not just like, I guess this is a, a good practice, you know, like right, this is right. good. So when we do have those people here, yeah. we're going to blow them away with our skills. I think it's just hard to like start over too, you know. Like, yeah, it is definitely. And I've always—I mean, I think I've said it out loud to myself that I don't want to do it again. That road was rough. If there was that unintentional road to like semi stardom or, or whatever, you right. know, it's like it was hard. It was really, 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 really hard. And I don't—I don't really see the point in tr- even trying to do that again. Really? Really. For me. Yeah. I mean, most nights I would rather just do this, drink a little bit of wine, hang out with my girl, my daughter, just chill on the couch, watch SPL2. Love it. You know? Like, I, that's what I really like to do. That's fire. You know, go, go do some, some training, play some basketball. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I guess we're at the present day in our timeline. We are. Is there anything else you want to mention? I don't think so. I've probably said I'd said too much already. There it is. We'll see you next week.